Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Pray as though everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on you. I'm not sure where this little saying originated, but honestly, it's like it's haunted me since the day that I first heard it. Like a lot of kids in the great state of Texas, I grew up wanting to play football in high school and college and then even eventually into the NFL. And after God got a hold of me as a 17-year-old and I got serious about my faith, I prayed like my football career depended on God, but I worked, man, I worked like it depended on me. And when I say I work, this is what I'm talking about. I woke up early before school started, and I went to run bleachers all around our stadium every single morning. I led workouts during football class in third period, did practices after school, and then went back to the locker room after practice to watch film and lift more weights. But all the hard work in the world doesn't make you tall enough for the NFL. (laughs) So when it came time for college, I decided I would go play football at a smaller school for four years and then work on becoming a college football coach. But then during the spring of my freshman year, I got hurt and football was over. I went from being exactly sure of who I was and what I was supposed to do with my life to having no direction at all. I changed majors and I started trying to figure out what was next and I did the only thing that I knew how to do. I prayed like it was up to God. That summer, God led me to what was next, and that was ministry. As a 19-year-old college student, I took a job as a youth pastor at this small rural church outside of Abilene, Texas. And as I drove up on my first Sunday into that gravel parking lot, I remember thinking to myself, I prayed like it depended on God, and he put me here. Now it's time to work like it depends on me. So I did. I worked that job and two others over my last few years of college. During that time, my wife Amy and I got engaged and started planning what life would look like after we got married and graduated, and I didn't know what was next, so I prayed like it was up to God. I asked him to lead me, and after a while, we felt like he was leading us to Dallas, where Amy would go to UTD for a master's in speech pathology, and I would go to Dallas Seminary and start working at a church in that area. So on January 1st, 2011, we loaded up a U-Haul and drove east toward DFW, where I had taken a job as an intern at this big church in North Dallas. And guess what I did? I went to work. And I worked like it depended on me. Pretty soon, I found myself taking 15 to 20 graduate hours each semester and working 60 hours a week at the church that I was on staff with. And even though it was a ton of work, and even though it was overwhelming, y'all, it felt good. You know, it felt like I was doing what God wanted me to do. And I I was doing pretty well in school and I started getting promoted at my job at church. And it seemed like all my hard work was paying off. I'd followed the formula. I'd prayed like it depended on God. I'd worked like it depended on me and I was being rewarded for it. But pretty soon, 
The hours that I was devoting to school and church began to take a toll on me and on my marriage. I barely saw Amy, and even when I did, I don't think I was a very enjoyable person to be around. My time with Jesus took a back seat, too. For the better part of a year, the only time I read my Bible was for work or school. And the only time I prayed was just out of habit before a meal started. People would ask me questions about myself, and all I would talk about is how busy I was with all the work, all of the important things that I was doing for God, you know? Like my work became who I was. But it was justified, right? Because it it had followed the formula. I'd prayed like it depended on God, and then I'd worked, and I was working like it depended on me. I told myself that this is what God had called me to, and anyone or anything that could potentially get in my way was just a distraction. So what if I didn't spend that much time with God? I spent all day working for God. I'd prayed, he'd done his part, now it was time for me to work and do my part. But a couple of years living life that way, things really started to fall apart. And I had to make a choice. It was my work or literally everything else in my life. And it's only by God's grace and the the merciful leadership of my amazing wife that I chose to step away from my job. And at this point, I think it's an understatement to say my tank was just completely dry. Like I was done. I had nothing left. For all intents and purposes, I was done with ministry. I never wanted to work at a church again. I had prayed like it depended on God. I had worked like it depended on me, and I had worked myself ragged. So it's January again, almost two years to the day since we'd moved to Dallas, and I found myself sitting at home alone, feeling just utterly worthless. You see, my whole life, my identity had become about all the good work I was doing, and now it was gone. So you know what I did? I couldn't do the formula anymore. I couldn't pray like it depended on God because it hadn't worked. So I cried a lot. Those of y'all that know me or have been to church before, that probably doesn't surprise you. (laughs) Sitting on the couch in our tiny apartment after Amy went to bed, I would stay up into the night and just cry. I didn't have anything left. I was so angry. I was so angry because I'd followed the formula. I did what I was supposed to do, and it hadn't worked. I did something else, too. One night a week, I would go play pickup basketball, and then over to my friend Dusty's apartment to play video games and eat pizza. It was the thing I looked forward to most every single week. You see, Dusty and I were both in school. We were both in seminary and felt like God wanted us to work at a church. So we are doing this. We're going to his house every, you know, his apartment every Tuesday night, I think it was, and eating pizza and playing video games. But like I said, we're in seminary. We're supposed to be working at a church someday. So we had this epiphany one night sitting around eating pizza, watching TV. Maybe we should study the Bible together, right? Maybe we should open it up. It was actually Dusty's idea, so credit to him. But to be honest with you guys, reading the Bible was like the last thing that I wanted to do. At this point in my life, the Bible was just a book full of stories about a God who didn't take care of me, even when I'd done the formula. 
Even when I'd worked like it depended on me, I'd prayed like it depended on him, and he had not come through. But I agreed to start reading the Bible with Dusty, mostly because I was jobless and broke, and he was buying the pizza. And I felt guilty, and I felt like I had to do it. So somehow, we landed on the book of Ephesians. We decided that one of us would read it out loud, and then we'd talk about just a portion of it, and then we'd talk about what we thought about it. I took the first reading shift for chapter one, the first Tuesday night we did it, and the only thing I remember about that night is I read through it as fast as I possibly could. It was like 30 seconds. Close the Bible, turn the TV back on, back to pizza and video games. But the next week, we opened up Ephesians chapter two, and it was Dusty's turn to read. So just like Dusty and I did that night, I want you to open up your Bible or turn on your phone to Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna look at verses one through 10. Verses will also be on the screen behind me if you want to follow along there. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And like I said, that night it was Dusty's turn to read, and so he starts in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I remember pausing after verse 3, and Dusty kind of looks up and says something like, wow, that's kind of dark. That was like a rough first three verses to kick this off. And he's right. Right, this is a picture of what life looks like apart from the hope and love of Jesus. And it's, it's really dark. Paul says that before Christ, we were dead. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. Completely unable to use our physical life for any spiritual good. He also says that we walked in sin. And then he gives a few examples of what that looks like. Number one, he says, following the course of this world. Then he says, following the the prince of the power of the air. Following the spirit at work in those who are disobedient. Following the passions of our flesh. Following our own selfish desires of body and mind. Notice any similarities in those? They all start with following. They're all following something other than Jesus. It's pretty simple. Walking in sin means following something other than Jesus. But what a vivid picture of life without Christ. Spiritually dead and following anything and everything other than Jesus. But it's in that moment, in our darkest place imaginable, that Paul says God steps in. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God, that is without question my favorite two-word phrase in all of scripture. Paul says that we were spiritually dead and walking in sin, but God enters in. And notice why God enters into our brokenness, y'all. It's it's not because we decided to turn our life around. It's not because we committed ourselves to him or recommitted ourselves to him. It's not because we felt bad about our sin. It's not even because we asked him to enter in. God enters into our brokenness because he is rich in mercy and great in love. That's what it says. Because he is rich in mercy and great in love, our God takes dead people and he makes them alive again. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps getting better. 
I'm going to read it kind of all at once, verses 4 through 9, so you can really feel the full power of it. But God, being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's this beautiful contrast that Paul's making here. He starts verse one with, and you, and then he tells about what life was like without Jesus. And then in verse four, he starts with, but God, and then paints the picture of life with Jesus. And you were without Jesus, but God gave us Jesus. Have you ever seen that show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Give me a nod, you seen that? Okay. It's this reality show on ABC, and it provided home improvements for families in need. So the show would identify a family, and then they would send that family off to, like, Disney World or, or some other awesome vacation, and then rally the whole community and, around and give their home an extreme makeover. And when everything was finished, they would bring the family back for something called The Big Reveal, right? And on TV, they would show a picture of the house, the way that it used to look, on one side of the screen, and then the family waiting on the other side of the screen behind the big Extreme Makeover Home Edition bus. Remember that? And then everybody would start to chant something. What would they chant? Do you remember? Move that bus. Move that bus, right? And then the bus would roll away, and it would reveal this brand new, beautiful home. And then my favorite part would happen. They would follow the family in, and they would show each and every room, but they would show them juxtaposed to the way the room used to look, right? They would show the before and after pictures. Oh, here's what the kitchen looked like before. Oh, here's what it looks like now. Wow, oh my gosh, look at that. That's amazing. Every room, you know, it's just better than the last. This is the kind of contrast Paul is making here. He's holding up before and after pictures of us. He says, and you, and shows the picture of life before Jesus. And he says, but God, and shows the picture of life after Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And you wallowed in the flesh, but God lavished his grace on you. And you were totally lost, but God came looking for you. And you deserved punishment, but God gave you love. And you were children of wrath, but God adopted you into his family. And you walked in sin, but God seated you with Christ. And you were dead, but God made you alive. It's our before and after picture. It's the most stunning, extreme makeover in the history of the world. It puts the show to shame. As I sat in the apartment with Dusty that night, after reading and hearing those first nine verses, I was just overcome with gratitude, like, like I hadn't been in a really long time, for God's love and his mercy and the hope that he offers. But it wasn't before long that my gratitude was, was replaced with something heavier, something burdensome. At first, I didn't understand. 
Why am I feeling burdened after reading about God's great love? But then that same haunting phrase I'd leaned on for the last decade of my life came creeping back in. Pray as though everything depends on God and then work as if everything depends on you. And all I, at once, I felt completely removed from the overwhelming love of God and started feeling overwhelmed by the burden to work and pay him back for all that he'd done for me. Look at what he's done. Look at the before and after picture. Look at how he entered in. Even when we didn't ask him to, he, he chases us. Like Taylor said, he chooses us day after day after day. I got to get back to work. I got to start doing things for him again. But as I sat there that night, the reality of trying to pick that burden back up and carry it again was, was so overwhelming that I, I just didn't even want to be in that apartment anymore. I didn't even want to be next to a Bible anymore. I get up and I start to leave when Dusty says, wait, wait, there's one more verse. And he read Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's masterpiece. We are created for good works, but these good works have been prepared beforehand, and we just walk in them. And that verse quite literally changed my life. When Dusty read it, I realized that the, the theological paradigm I'd been using for most of my life was completely wrong. I realized that praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on me has never been God's plan for my life or for anyone else's life. I realized that I'd spent the last seven years trying to manufacture my own good works with my own hands through a lot of sweat and blood and tears when I was just supposed to be walking in the ones that he'd prepared for me beforehand. And it changed everything. We have been created for good works, yes, but they aren't the good works we try to make in our own power. They are the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we walk in. We don't have to make them, we just get to walk in them. Let that sink in for a second. Not just like intellectually, but in your heart, in your soul. We don't have to make the good works. We get to walk in the ones God has prepared for us. So here's my question for you this morning. Are you so busy trying to make the good works in your own power that you're missing out on the ones God has already prepared for you? Are you so busy trying to make the good works in your own power, in your own strength, that you are missing the good works he's already prepared for you? For those of us trusting ourselves, our own power, our own good works, for those of us praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on us, aren't you tired? Aren't you exhausted? Is this working? Because I did it for a really long time and it did not work for me. And I'm telling you that I love you guys. I care about y'all too much to watch you do the same thing. It is a burden that you and I were never meant to carry. When Jesus came, 
And he was talking to his disciples about the work they were supposed to be doing and the things they were supposed to be carrying, the mission that he had for them. You know what he didn't say? Hey, pray like it depends on me, but work like it depends on you. But you know what he did say? He said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are weary, all you who are carrying too much, and give it to me, I'll carry it. Take my burden because it's light and it's easy and I'll carry all those things that you are carrying. Our American kind of bootstrap version of Christianity loves to quote that verse from James chapter two that says faith without works is dead. But I am here to tell you this morning that work without faith is dead too. And that includes work for God. I know it from experience. I know it from spending 80 hours a week working for God and studying for God and it culminating with me sobbing on a couch in my apartment in the middle of the night. It doesn't work. Praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on us has never, ever been God's plan for our lives. We are called to live a life of faith to walk in the good works he has already prepared for us. We depend on God as we pray and we depend on God as we work. He is the one doing the work in us and through us. So how do we do that? How do we transition from this paradigm of praying like it depends on God and, and working like it depends on us? How do we throw off the American bootstrap version of Christianity that just says, you gotta do everything yourself? How do we live a life of dependence? Well, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Galatians 2.20. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. The life he's called us to is a life of faith. For me... The way that manifests itself kind of in everyday life is a whole bunch of things that I like to call just prayers of dependence. And it's just little moments throughout my day that I just pause and I say, God, I can't do this on my own. You're gonna have to do this through me. Before every meeting, before every lunch appointment, before I go into my house in the evenings, when I drive up to my driveway and my little boy is running out toward me, I say a quick prayer. God, I can't do this. I can't be the dad that I'm supposed to be on my own you got to do it. I can't be the husband I'm supposed to be. I can't be the pastor I'm supposed to be. you got to do it through me. And I'm here. Use me. It's a lot more art than science, y'all. It's a lot more dance than march. It probably looks a little bit different for me than it does for you, but I'm here to tell you that it is so much better than the alternative. It's not a life of working for God. It's a life of God working through you. Okay, see the difference? It's not a life of working for God. It's a life of God working through you. Make this the day you stopped working like it depends on you and started walking by faith in the good works that God has prepared for you beforehand. As I mentioned last week, we're gonna end every gathering in this series on Ephesians with communion and a hymn. Every single time for the next seven weeks with communion and a hymn. 
Today we're going to sing in Christ alone. I want to invite the band back up. Just like Paul prayed in chapter 1, this beautiful song has been a constant reminder to me about the hope and the power that I have through Christ alone. He alone prepares the good works for me, and he alone empowers me to walk in them by faith. And as we sing the song together, I want to invite you up to one of our communion stations. You see, we've got one here, we've got one there, and then we've got one in the back for all the moms and dads of the little kiddos. When Jesus changed the Passover meal, that night he's around the table with his disciples. It was the night before he would be betrayed and killed on the cross. And they'd done this together as Jewish people for, for thousands of years. So the disciples and Jesus, they'd, been, they'd grown up sharing this Passover meal together. But that night, Jesus changed it. And he changed it forever. He took the wine that we have represented by the grape, and he took the bread that we have represented by the cracker. And instead of reminding them about Moses and what had happened in setting people free from slavery in Egypt, he said, actually, this wine is my blood. And it's for forgiveness. And this bread is my body and it's for life. And so these two things working together, the elements we have, one represents forgiveness and one represents the life that we have been freely given through Jesus. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This morning, we're going to have communion be completely self-led. So that means in a second, when we stand and when we sing together, at any time as we sing, you are free to come up, to grab a grape and a cracker, to eat it there, to go back to your seat, to go to a different part of the gym and pray by yourself or with someone else. I'm actually gonna be standing right there. If you would like to pray with me, I would love to pray with you. But it's gonna be self-led for one big reason, to remind us that our job as Christians is simply to walk in faith, receive his forgiveness, receive his life, and step into what he has prepared already for us, okay? So that's what we're gonna do this morning. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing. If you're ready to do that this morning, either for the first time or to really stop trying to work like everything depends on you and start working in dependence on God, I wanna invite you to take communion this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll sing together. Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you for these simple 10 verses that truly changed my life so long ago. Thank you that even when I forget and I start working like it depends on me, you are so sweet and kind and patient to remind me that you are the one doing the work, that in Christ alone I find my strength, my hope, my identity, and my power. Help us trust you as we sing and as we share in communion together. Make this a, a physical representation of our internal and spiritual commitment to live our lives in dependence on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.